Hello and welcome to the NBA Next Podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I am joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, we had a big trade, Pascal Siakam to the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Toronto gets a couple pieces back and then New Orleans slips in there. Uh, let's start off with all the different pieces that each team has received. Yeah, Scott, I got to start by saying I'm already like preemptively angry when we get to trade deadline day and people are like, why is nothing happening when we've already had, <laughs> right. you know, two, two monster trades and a couple smaller ones. Like, it's like, come on now. Um, let's, let's, uh, you know, be, be, uh, you know, reasonable about this, but it, it's, that's just our short-term goldfish memories, right? We forget. And then it turns into, oh yeah, nothing's happened. And it's like, well, this, it all happened already, but I still think it's going to be a very busy uh, trade deadline period to go. So this trade really kind of fascinating. And uh, as I broke down in the piece I wrote for spot track, it was functionally two different trades. The, the, the Pelicans and Pacers completed a trade initially where the Pacers used some of their, their cap space to take in Kyra Lewis Jr. Uh, they also got a second round pick uh, from New Orleans to do that. And they sent the Pelicans the absolute smallest amount of cash allowed, which is $110,000. And why, why they did that was twofold. One, they got paid a second round pick. The Pelican side is the easiest part to explain in this. This is the last part we need to talk about them with. They get out of the luxury tax. They've never paid the tax in their history as a franchise. Them and, oddly enough, the team that they used to be and then were became again, the Charlotte Hornets, uh, those are the only two teams that have never paid the luxury tax in their history um, in the NBA. And this was not going to be the first year for the Pelicans and Hornets are miles away, so that that's not even a thing. So they get out of the tax. They can now uh, fill out their roster. They can maybe convert a two-way guy or two. Uh, you know, as the season's wrapping up, they're going into the second half. And there we go. So then, because Indiana acquired Kyra Lewis Jr. with cap space, they were able to aggregate him in a trade. If you normally trade for a guy and you're over the cap when you trade for him, if there's a 60-day waiting period. So in this case, the Pacers were able to put Kyra Lewis Jr. with Bruce Brown and Jordan Awara into a deal along with some uh, draft picks to go get Pascal Siakam. And that ended up being the salary match uh, in that. So it was really, you know, all around smart business by the uh, Pacers to structure it this way. And they get to recoup a little bit of the draft capital that they sent out in the trade for Siakam. And that's a you know, good, good work from there. So that's kind of functionally how the trades happened, which was it, it for a cap nerd like me, it was fun to kind of piece it together because for 99% of the people who watch and consume stuff, it was a three team trade, but it was fun to watch how it actually got put together. So what goes back for Toronto? Yeah, Toronto is uh, getting, so they're going to get Bruce Brown. They got Kyra Lewis Jr. And they got, uh, Jordan Awara, and they ended up having to waive Christian Coloco uh, from his uh, contract. He had no guaranteed money uh, beyond this season, and it's now since come out. He's actually he hasn't played this year for what the Raptors said was an upper respiratory um, illness. Now it's come out he has a blood clot, which may be career threatening. So that's just awful. We hate to hear that. Uh, 
but he was the one who was waived to create the roster spots. They already had one open, so they needed to open one more. And they're going to get three first-round picks in this. Now, this is where people get all fired up because you hear three first-round picks. And it's like, holy cow, you mortgaged your whole future. Like, what were you thinking? But then you got to get the details behind it. So the first first-round pick is the Pacers 2024 pick. That's this year's pick. We think the Pacers are going to be pretty good. So that's a pick probably delivers in the 20s. The second pick is also a 2024 pick, and it is the worst of the Houston Rockets, LA Clippers, Oklahoma City, Utah Jazz first. Well, I feel pretty confident in saying the Thunder and or Clippers, and heck, the way they're playing right now, maybe the Jazz, though that's going to be a pick in the 20s. So you gave up two picks in the 20s, and then they're also getting a 2026 first rounder, uh, from the Pacers, but the Pacers were able to protect that pick with top four protections. So that means even if everything falls apart on them and they bought them out spectacularly in the last couple of, or next couple of years, they're they're still going to be able to keep that pick if it lands in the top four. So it's it's three first round picks, and and I don't think the Pacers will. I think they'll deliver a pick, but it's very likely it's going to be three first round picks that are all in the twenties or or maybe even the mid to late twenties, which is really kind of, it's, it's not a bad return for Toronto for a guy like Siakam who may have walked anyway. The players are, you know, at least semi-interesting, especially Bruce Brown jr. Um, Kyra Lewis, Jordan war. That's more uh, make the math work, kind of take flyers on guys, but that's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, all right, now that I understand what all these things are, we're probably not going to kill the Pacers for you mortgage your whole future for a guy who's a, a pending free agent. And in some people's minds, he's not one of the top three, four players in the league uh, or anything like that. So it really turns into, wow, like you gave up a lot. But when you break it down, it's like, eh, actually, this was a lot more fair of a return than it maybe looked like initially. Yeah, and the narrative that keeps coming up is the the draft is going to be a down year for the the NBA draft in June. But how I see it is you're at least acquiring as many picks as you can and if you flip them or not. But even if it is a pick in the 20s, we're seeing a lot of late first-round picks hit. And we saw it with the uh, extensions this year where Mm -hmm. there were a handful of extensions from the back end of the first round uh, draft from the 2020 class. So if you can potentially get a diamond in the rough and maybe it is a 50, 50 crap shoot because you have to, uh, you know, an extra two first round draft picks, then so be it. Um, but it doesn't seem that Toronto is ripping off a bandaid here. It's sort of like they're pivoting like Indiana has done for years where They've either been at the middle or at the top, but they refuse to go to the bottom. And Toronto, with the assets they acquired from the New York trade and now with the Indiana trade, it seems like they're just sort of uh, rotating themselves and acquiring picks and, and not really completely going all in at the tanking aspect. Am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, you're you're right on it. This is, I like to say, this is a reset versus a rebuild. Right. To me, a rebuild is when you trade everybody, you play a bunch of kids and guys who have no real future there, and you acquire draft assets and 
deal more kids and that's how you move it forward. In this case, Toronto is, they feel really good about Scotty Barnes. They think he is a, a, a number one superstar player. You know, that's where his career trajectory is. They've also got RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, who they like very much from the OG and Anobi trade. And then they've got Jakob Pertl. That's kind of their core four guys if you move it forward, because assuming they resign quickly, which seems very, very likely, those are the, the guys who all have some longer term money on the books. So that is a um, spot where they're going to build around those guys. And everything now is going to be about, all right, who fits with those guys? How do we supplement them? Where do we go? Or is our best path? All right, we're going to clear out some salary and we can, you know, then then go get guys. If guys aren't, aren't readily available now, we'll go get some guys that can really fit. So I think what's um, important to kind of note here is with the Raptors, Bruce Brown, he fit in, he played already. He played for them last night as we're recording this Friday morning. He pretty much hopped off the plane, did his physical, I'm guessing, and and got right in the lineup. And he played okay because that's what Bruce Brown does. He's a pretty plug-and-play guy. But I'm not sold that Bruce Brown is going to be with the Raptors for years to come or anything. His contract, Indiana overpaid him in part one place because – they had to under the new CBA. You have to use your cap space um, before the start of the season. Nobody can go into the season like the Spurs and Pacers have done in the past, sitting on 30, 40 million in cap space. That's no longer allowed. So that was part of it. And two, he's a pretty good player. But by overpaying him, they were able to give him a team option for next year. And that says, hey, we made it very tradable, very easy to move contract, which we saw in this deal. So I think what happens now uh, for the Raptors is they're in the same place. It's still a very easy to move uh, player. He can only be traded by himself. They can't like put him and um, Dennis Schroeder together and go get somebody who makes $35 million. That's not allowed, but 22 million, pretty movable contract. I think you could see Toronto move on from him. I mentioned Schroeder. I think we're now in a place where Emmanuel quickly is starting. He's clearly the guy going forward. So we could see Schroeder get moved. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. is on an expiring contract. We don't know what that looks like. So I think we could see him be somebody who could potentially get traded here in the next uh, week or two uh, ahead of the trade deadline. So I think there's just a lot of stuff in play for the Raptors now versus the last couple of years when we've, we've been waiting for this. Are you going to make moves? Are you going to trade guys? Or is this going to be a spot um, where you're going to hang on to these guys and watch them all walk away like what happened with Fred Van Vliet, like what kind of happened with Kyle Lowry that turned into a sign and trade, but that's kind of how that went down. We were, we were fearful of that with Siakam and Ananobi. Then I think what they found was workable trades that made sense for them for two guys that I'm guessing they knew were probably not going to be a part of the future going forward. And if we're being completely honest, just weren't great fits with Scotty Bear, uh, uh, Scotty Barnes, rather. I'm conflating Scotty Barnes and R.J. Barrett and making them one guy. Um, But with Scotty Barnes, because Scotty Barnes is, he needs the ball a lot. He's really a forward uh, defensively. So when you had Siakam and Ananobi, it was just a little jammed up and a little messy. Now you move forward and do do this and, and you, you got a bunch of stuff. So I think we're in really good shape 
uh, for this Raptors uh, team moving forward because now they've got all kinds of options and flexibility that were on the table, but on the table in a way that it meant watching talent walk out the door for nothing. So this is a better place to be. Before we go back to Indiana, with the with the Raptors, those two players, OG and Siakam, they've been on the trade rumors for the last 12 to 24 months. Um, and finally, we get the trigger pulled here. They're both traded. Do you think that they got their fair value uh, for them being traded, or should they have gone earlier than than now? Yeah, that's hard to say. It's it, it's always easy to say from the side of you should have done this before, but like Siakam and Ananobi was it's weird. Ananobi was on the title team, but didn't play during that title run in 2019. I think it was appendicitis that kept him out of that title run. But Siakam was obviously a huge part of the franchise. He's been one of the better players in franchise history. So that is something where um, uh, I I think we are um, in a spot where it kind of becomes, it's it's always easy to say, I should have done this already. Mm -hmm. But I think it's hard to move on from the guys who have meant so much, much to you as a franchise. So then you just kind of hang on to those guys. And I think when all is said and done, they did pretty well in in these two trades. So I'm I'm not going to beat them up too much for that. I think I I would have been a lot more critical if they had just held on to them. And I would have been extremely critical if they had lost those guys for nothing this summer. That would have been a major, major problem. All right, let's jump back to Indiana. They they acquire Siakam. And in the piece, you mentioned some contract options with Siakam. Um, Can you break that down for us now that the Pacers have acquired him? And what are the options moving forward to keep him? Because uh, we know he could become a free agent. Yep. Yeah. And we're, we're, he, so let me start with that. He's going to be a free agent. I've seen some people say, well, you know, they could just extend him. And I'll tell you why that's probably not going to happen is because when a player is traded, they can do an extended trade in an extended trade. A player can get, a um two years they can add two years onto their contract and but they can only do it at five percent raises so in siakam's case that would be adding next year at about 39.8 million year after that about 41.8 million or so and that puts them at about 81 and a half million over two years so what happens in that case is that that's where you lock into on an extended trade if a player doesn't do a um, extending trade, they then get a six month restriction where they can't extend for anything more than that. You could always extend for less. That's a you know thing, but that's certainly not going to happen. So it's not even worth uh, spending much time on. So what that means is six months. Well, six months. This trade just happened a couple of days ago. That takes us well past the start of the NBA off season. So that's why I think. I don't know if it's necessarily the money portion. I think right around $40 million could be a sensible starting point for Siakam, even if it's probably a bit low. Um, it's the years. He's not going to want to do a two-year deal. He's going to want to get, my guess is, at least four years or three years in a player option, something like that. So that means you go into the summertime. Now, in the summer, the Pacers will have his full bird rights. They can um, 
drop in at that point, they could do a five-year, $247 million max deal. Uh, for perspective, if he um, was to leave, he still gets the same starting salary of $42.6 million, but his max deal would top out at four years, $183 million with another team. So that's because you can only do five years for your own guy, and it's only 5% raises versus 8% raises. Um, one thing I do want to know, because some people had talked about this in the past, is Siakam is now no longer eligible to do the designated uh, veteran extension or contract. You can only get one of those from the team that drafts you or the team that um, uh, acquired you in while you're still on your rookie contract. So Siakam no longer eligible for that. Obviously, Pacers didn't draft him, and he's well off his rookie contract. My guess is probably something around, you know, four years, 180 to 190 million, a little bit more than, you know, what he could get uh, through his extension. That probably gets it done. Um, and then that gets it's You're not locking into that full max, but you're it's more than what he could get from another team. And it, it gives the Pacers a chance to really retain him and keep moving. So I think, I think that's what we'll see is he'll resign with Indiana. We're already getting reporting that that's where this is going to go. My guess is if we really dug into it, there's probably some conversations ahead of the trade happening. Just if you're going to give up three first round picks, you want to have at least some idea that this guy's not going to be like, no, I hate Indiana. I'm never staying there beyond the 40 plus games. I'm going to play with you here. I'm out the door. First chance I get, this is probably more likely of, all right, we, we, we have an idea of where things are going to go with this. And my guess is this will probably be one of those ones we hear pretty quickly after 6 p.m. Uh, when free agency opens up, at least negotiation-wise, on June 30th. We'll probably get a, uh, a note pretty quick from Woj or Shams or somebody that says Pascal Siakam and the Indiana Pacers are in agreement on a new contract. Let's be very clear, new contract will not be an extension, but a new contract worth somewhere probably in the range of about 180 million or so. Keith, I've got to get on my soapbox. I agree with you. The the verbiage that reporters use interchangeably <laughs> of extension or new contract gets me all the time. I'm like, no, it's not an extension. So yep. <laughs> I'm glad that you uh, said what you said there about it, it will be a new contract in July, not an extension. Well, and uh, for you and I, like, and people who do what we do, it really does matter because if it's an extension that impacts when he could extend again, if it's right. a new contract, there's different rules. You could do things like, Hey, it's a new contract. So we can put in a trade bonus. We, we could put in the, in this case, he's not eligible for a no trade because he hasn't been with the Pacers long enough, obviously. But if it's a case like that, like Bradley Beal, that's the one I now use is he did not extend with the wizards on the current contract he's on. That's how he was able to get a no trade clause. If there's not a no trade clause in a previous deal, you can't just get one. You can't just plug one in on an extension because an extension is just that it's, you're taking the terms of the current contract and you're extending them by adding to it in a new contract. You're starting fresh. It's maybe with the same team and you're resigning with them, but that's why we try to be very specific and particular. And it does make it super messy with the new rules around free agency. I know we're a few years into them where negotiations start at 6 PM, but there are the guys who are on expiring contracts. If they're eligible can extend all the way through midnight. 
So I know you and I like to then start sending messages. All right. Do we think this is actually an extension or a new contract? And, yep. and sometimes we don't know for certain until, until it uh, you know, really comes out in the wash. Uh, in some cases a week or so later when the moratorium lifts and deals actually go official. So that's always a fun little process too. This trade comes on the heels of a trade that happened on Sunday between Detroit and Washington, the two bottom teams just shuffling uh, uh, chairs on the Titanic here. Uh, <laughs> Want to break the pieces down for what each Detroit and Washington received? Yeah, so Detroit gets off of Marvin Bagley's contract, and I'll go into detail of why that's important. They also added Isaiah Livers. They sent the Wizards a second-round pick. The Wizards are sending are sent over Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala, four guys who are all yeah, Bagley and Livers. They were in the rotation because Detroit's kind of cycled through everybody at this point on their roster has played rotation minutes at some point. Gallinari started the year in the rotation for the Wizards. Didn't look very good. Muscala has been kind of in and out of the rotation with the Wizards. That's kind of telling, too, because that's a Washington team that doesn't have a lot of size behind Daniel Gafford, and neither one of those guys was playing all that much. So so we're in a little bit of a weird spot there. And what this trade was really all about was, hey, for you to eat next year's $12.5 million Washington, can we throw you a flyer in Isaiah Livers, who maybe helps you, maybe doesn't, but can we give you a second-round pick to do so? And the Pistons might have said uh, kind of intentionally or maybe even unintentionally the market on what it's going to take. So it might be, hey, $12 million, that's going to take a second-round pick. And then it could be $20, 25000000 million. That's where we start getting in the first-round pick territory or so. So what I think we're looking at here is it's, it's sometimes – Trades are super like, oh, man, they got this guy and these star guys. But sometimes these trades are smaller, but there's always a reason for them. Nobody makes a trade just, hey, let's make a trade. This is not fantasy league where it's like, I'm bored today at work and I'm sitting in this meeting that's droning on. Let me text my buddy and see if we can get a trade going. These are real things. So I think what's important to know here is the Pistons get off a little bit of money. They can now create uh, definitely over $50 million in cap space potentially over 60 million if they do some other stuff. And I don't think Detroit's done either. I think we still got a lot of action to come from the Pistons between now and February 8th. What about Washington now? I mean, what is the game plan? I mean, we know they're in tank mode. They acquired Bagley who has this year and next year. They just seem like a kerfluffle right now. What is the end game? Can you even see what they're trying to do? Uh, I, I can. I, I can't see all the way to the end of it because if I could, I'd be a very rich man. Uh, you know, <laughs> but it's uh, immediately <laughs> right. Um, I, I think there's two pieces here in this Bagley trade tells us some about the Wizards as well is this is not we're not turning and burning this rebuild. This is not a we're flipping this thing in the span of one year, one off season and off we go. This is going to be a, we're in this for multiple years, and that's how we're going to move forward with, with this. That's why they took on Jordan Poole's long-term contract. That's why, um, you know, they re-signed Kyle Kuzma to what's a very fair value contract, but that's why you take on Marvin Bagley's contract, because we're not trying to flip it right away. There's already reporting and indications 
they're to letting teams know, hey, if you want some of our other guys, we're willing to take on some bad salary if it'll increase our return draft pick wise, young player wise, uh, moving forward, which is is an interesting spot for Washington because I think Wizards fans can would I don't think I, let me rephrase I know Wizards fans are like yeah let's go no more of this sitting somewhere between seventh and eleventh in the conference we don't want that you're going to be bad you can be bad for a few years as long as we have a direction and they very very clearly have a direction now which is really good and really important for them moving forward so I think that's something that we just got to keep an eye on with, with these guys as far as um, if it looks like some of their transactions like this one, I think some people was like, this is a weird trade. Why are they doing this? Well, that's why they got a nice second round pick to eat a little bit of money into next year. And also Bagley gives them a little bit of size. That's at least maybe he's a late bloomer. Maybe there's still some upside left there and, and you can tap into it and they can afford to give them the minutes because they're a bad team. So I think they, these are the kind of things you're going to see. Maybe they do something bigger. Maybe it's where it's like, holy cow, they get all that for Kyle Kuzma. And maybe it's a trade where it's like, well, what they really got was like two firsts for Kyle Kuzma, but then they got an additional first because they ate player X's bad contract uh, in return for Kyle Kuzma. And that's how you increase, increase your return. It could be something like Tyus Jones on his expiring contract delivers two firsts because it's one first for Tyus Jones plus we ate a bad contract coming back our way. So I, I think those are the kind of things you're going to see from the Wizards between now and February 8th. And quite honestly, probably into next offseason as well. With Detroit, you say that they're not done. And they have somewhere right now between 50 and potentially $60 million in cap space next year. They don't seem like the free agent destination place that people want to go for next offseason. So what are the options for them to really use the cap space and not potentially lose some of it uh, if they still have a, a heavy chunk going into the regular season next year? Um, what's the plan for this all this cap space for the Detroit Pistons? Yeah, we've got kind of two paths for the Pistons, I think. The one path, and everybody made the jokes on social media of, oh, so now they can go sign, you know, Josh Smith or Charlie Villanueva and Ben Gordon to crazy contracts. And I get it, right? Those are fair criticisms. But that was not this Pistons front office. That was years ago. At this point, it's completely different people running things there. So I think what you're looking at now is they could do some, some more trades to create more space where all right, we're going to send out Boyan Bogdanovich. We're going to get rid of Alec Burks. We're going to move some other guys. But they could – and then go into the summer with 50, 60 million in cap space, and that's you know where we're going forward. I think that's a very viable path, and it could be the way they go. I think the other option is to look at it and say, hey, we're going to do a form of pre-agency. And I have very much gotten the sense from Detroit, they are going to look to do what the Houston Rockets did, which is – we we've got some kids here who can play. We've got Cade Cunningham. We've got Jalen Dern. We've got Jaden Ivy. These guys can all play. And I think they're going to look at it as who can we go get for veterans that can lift us? Cause I think they're done with the, all right, let's just rebuild around high draft picks and all that stuff. I don't think they're going to go bonkers. Like, I don't think you're going to see them be like, well, we traded Cade Cunningham and a deal for Zach Levine. It's going to be, let's go get the right kind of stars or 
if not stars, good veteran players around these kids so we can we can be much more competitive next year. Maybe we can uh, make a run at the playing tournament. At the bottom of the Eastern Conference, they, they, they probably could pull that off if they make the right moves. So I think that's where you could see them maybe in the next few weeks ahead of the trade deadline go out and trade for a big-name player not in the hopes of let's salvage this mess of a season outside of maybe that guy helps him not be the absolute worst team in NBA history, but let's go get that player now. So then that way we get to see over the last probably 30 ish games or so, what does it look like with him alongside Cade Cunningham? What does it look like when he plays with Jalen Duran? and we get a sense and then we know, all right, this summer, Here's what we need to do to continue to build out the roster. And then next year we can really be competitive. So whether it happens in the next few weeks or it happens in the summertime, I don't think we're going to see the Pistons just continue to take on bad salary in exchange for a draft pick or two. Um, I think we're going to see them really try to make a move to really better this roster and move things forward in a big, big way. And I think, like I said, that could start as soon as the next couple of weeks. Your 2024 NBA trade deadline primer was released hours before the Siakam trade (laughs) dropped. And we were trying to get that out as fast as possible because we knew that was uh, on the precipice. So uh, notable names from uh, some of these teams that you think may move. I mean, I... DeJounte Murray, Zach Levine, Jonathan Kaminga, those are the big names that I keep hearing uh, whether or not they get traded or not. But within your trade primer, you, you've said most likely to be traded. So outside of those three that keep coming up more and more as the days progress, who else uh, are players that we should be aware of that you think are most likely to get traded? Yeah, I mean, they, they, like we said, they took uh, Siakam off the list here. But, Bruce Brown, too. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Brown as well. Yeah, yeah. at least hey, at least that feels good. We had some guys on the list that did get moved. Um, I think a guy like Royce O'Neal from the uh, Brooklyn Nets, maybe Dorian Finney-Smith, there's a sense the Nets are not not thrilled with where they are um, and if they can uh, rebuild their, their draft pick uh, stash a little bit uh, further, which they've done well with that already through trading Harden, Irving, and Durant. Uh, in the last year, that that could you know, get them to a to a better place. Uh, I think everybody's kind of got eyes on Charlotte. Charlotte's made it known. Uh, don't call about Lamella Ball, Brandon Miller, and Mark Williams. Anybody else? We're open to to moving. You know, couple guys a little harder to move. Guys like Gordon Hayward has a pretty big contract, so I'm not sure that that ends up happening. I would keep an eye on the Dallas Mavericks um, just as a team to watch, only because. They've got a couple big um, expiring contracts, or not expiring, but uh, tradable contracts, rather, in Tim Hardaway Jr. and Rashawn Holmes. So I think there's a chance we could see that uh, become a thing very much uh, for them. We already talked about Detroit and Washington. They're still moving. Houston has has put Victor Oladipo out there. Is really just that's the matching salary in a trade. They're really trying to make a push to make the, the postseason. Uh, they, they, I believe if, if the standings are still where they were, they think they've fallen out of the playing picture right now, and they have. They're, they're down in 11th, but they're still right in the mix. Um, to make the playing tournament, I think that would be important to them to continue that push. Uh, further down, the Lakers, they've got 
D'Angelo Russell is a big tradable contract. You're gonna gonna be watching that one. But a lot of the names that the big names you already mentioned them. It's Levine. It's uh, um, gosh, I'm slipping my mind now. Levine is definitely one of them. Yeah, yeah, Murray. Um, no, those are kind of the bigger names now that Siakam and Ananobi have gone. Two others from Portland. Malcolm Brogdon, I think, is very likely. I don't think Jeremy Grant gets traded at this deadline, but it also wouldn't shock me if we all of a sudden get a tweet of Jeremy Grant's being traded. Just Portland is in there again. They're in it kind of for the long haul here more. And and I think Brogdon is a guy who could definitely get moved uh, here. And then there's a million uh, smaller name players that, that are, you know, could, could be moved, but guys who I think could make major impacts on contenders. And that's, that's what we're going to see is contenders are going to be looking to pick guys up out of bolster their rotation for the rest of the regular season in at least the early rounds of the playoffs. So if we focus on teams, Golden State Warriors, is it time? Uh, if it isn't, it's getting real close. Um, right now, you know, with the Warriors, it's hard. Uh, you know, they, they, they lost an assistant coach. Um, Dejan Milijevich, uh passed away unexpectedly. He had a heart attack, actually had a team dinner. Um, so the Warriors have had a couple games already postponed uh, this week. So, we're, we're going to see what it looks like when they come back um, to, to the floor. But so that that's, that's something obviously we're going to have to watch them work through. But if we go back to just them as a basketball team, it feels like they're finally whole from, from a player's sense because Draymond Green is back. Chris Paul is out, but there's a sense of is Chris Paul going to be here or not? I don't know. And I don't think, we see the Warriors go full. All right, Draymond's out. Clay Thompson is out. We're going to trade everybody in its staff, and we'll you know pick it up from there. I don't think we're going to see that. I do think it could be Chris Paul gets traded. I think we could see Kaminga moved. I think we could see Moses Moody get traded. I think uh, Andrew Wiggins is very available. Those could be the kind of moves that the Lake, the Lakers, the Warriors make in the sense of let's um, really put this into a position uh, where let's try to rebuild around our core guys. We're, we're, we're going to give it one more run. Again, it's kind of like the Toronto conversation, but even in more extreme. The things Draymond Green and Clay Thompson have meant to this franchise, it, it's just really hard to walk away from that. Because you, you you would have to almost hit home runs in those trades for the fans to not be like, what are you doing? You traded franchise legends away. And that's right. where it gets really difficult to make moves like that. The Lakers, they are in 10th place, 21 and 21 right now. As of a few days ago, they were at the exact same uh, record that they were at this time last year. And we know LeBron's teams, they are, they seem to have a revolving door of players. Is that going to be the same since this trade deadline where they're just going to upheaval their entire roster to try to make a push? I don't think it'll be quite as extreme as last year. I, I do think we're going we're gonna to see them do some stuff. I, I think D'Angelo Russell's contract, the minute it was signed and we found out that he had uh, waived his ability to block a trade, we were in a spot where that contract's tradable that, that, that just jumped off the page of, all right, they gave him a little bit more money in a player option. 
for the ability to be able to trade him. Uh, Rui Hachimura's contract, pretty tradable. Gabe Vincent to be tough to swallow. We just signed him, but that's a tradable number. So I think you're going to see them do something. I, I don't know that we see uh, we, we're, we're sitting here trade deadline day and it's like, all right, it's LeBron AD and a whole bunch of new guys. I don't know that we'd see it to that extreme, but I do think they're going to do something with a couple of those guys. Cause it just, you, you have to do what you can to maximize this window with LeBron and AD. The one thing that is a little scary is LeBron and AD have been there this whole year. Last year, at least you had the thought process of, well, they've missed a lot of time and, and we're, we're, we're able to you know, really get them back in the second half and supplement this year. You're sitting in the same spot and we're, we're in a place where it's like, Oh man, this is not, um, this is not going real well. We're sitting here right around 500, but they're going to do something to, to get things moving in a different direction for sure. The Atlanta Hawks, Murray is in conversations. I've even seen, you know, do they trade Trey Young? Um, Quinn Snyder has had that team, and they just don't seem to be doing what most of us expected under his helm. Uh, what do they need to do? Yeah, well, I mean, God, we'd spend a, another hour here if we wanted to, <laughs> but I'll make it quick. Trey Young's not going anywhere, and Yekka Kongu is not going anywhere. Jalen Johnson not going anywhere. Trey Young, that's just that's not a trade you make in season, unless it's like holy cow, the Hawks got the mega haul back. That would be much more of a let's have a conversation in the off season, and probably only if he's like, hey, I'm kind of done with this. I don't want to do this anymore here. But everybody else, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, Dejounte Murray is very available. Uh, DeAndre Hunter. Uh, those are all guys that for sure could be traded by the Sox team. I mean, everybody you talk to will tell you, yeah, Murray's probably going to go. Like, like there, there is a good chance, you know, you're going to see see him traded, and he may be the biggest name um, yet to move uh, of the guys that haven't already been traded. So I think we're in a spot where that one seems to make a lot of sense. Um, it hasn't worked with him and Trey Young. His contract is far more acquirable right now because even with this trade bonus, it still only bumps him up to about $20 million this season. Next year, that goes up to uh, once his trade bonus is calculated, and that's going to be probably in the range of about $28 million or so. So that it just starts to, to stack up a little bit higher. So right now, very acquirable number for a team. And I think if you're the Hawks, your idea is, all right, let's get back some of what we sent out. They're not going to get back everything they gave up to get Murray, but let's get some of the stuff we get back. Maybe you see him move on from DeAndre Hunter. Maybe a team comes in and says, man, Bogdanovich is exactly what we need as a sixth man. Move a guy like him. Maybe Sadiq Bey, who's a uh, pending restricted free agent, you could even see the Hawks say, all right, let's kind of move on there. Part of what I would keep an eye on with the Hawks they were only about $2.7 million under the tax for next season. And that's without Bay being re-signed. If he gets anything approaching even the mid-level exception or more, they're, they're a tax team. They, they, they would be up and over the tax line. And I think if you're Atlanta, you're, you would have to – that'd be a hard one to go into ownership and explain. Hey, even though we, we stink right now, we're six games under five hundred and barely in the playing tournament – Let's pay the tax next year for basically the same roster. I don't know how that flies. So I, I, I think you're going to see how the Hawks do some stuff and be active. Is there any other team that we should keep our ears out 
listen for that you feel really needs to make a move here? Yeah, keep an eye on um, Philadelphia. Just, it, it, again, Philly's got sitting on a mountain of cap space, and it's either going to be used now or in the summertime. I think as the free agent class continues to further dry up, I think now we're feel pretty confident Kawhi's already off the board. Paul George is going to be off the board. Not that James Harden would be an option for Philly, but he's going to be off the board. Siakam's going to be off the board. OG Ananobi's very likely going to be realistically off the board. Now we're down to, oh boy, like we're down to the third, fourth tier free agents here, maybe a couple second tier guys. And that's turning into, all right, who do we want to throw all this money at? They're again, a team that could say, right, we're pretty good. If we can go get a guy who can help us right now, the rest of this year, and he's a fit long-term, let's go get that done. And even if they don't do a big move like that, I think they're, they're a good bet to see, hey, we did some more balancing trades where we sent out some of our expiring salary to get a couple guys who fit what we need a little bit better. They, and, and then they, they come in. So that that's a team I would keep an eye on. And then kind of just a sneaky two that I would say is Utah. Um, Danny Ainge could wake up tomorrow and say, that's cute. We're in the playing tournament. I don't care. We're not a contender. I want to be a contender. And we've seen Danny Ainge. He's not afraid to say, yeah, let's go. Because he did it last year with this Utah team where it was, yeah, we're playing pretty well, but we're not where we want to be. I'm going to trade away some guys. I don't think that means Markkanen or any of their key long-term guys. I think you could see them definitely move uh, a few guys who uh, may make sense just from a standpoint of, yeah, let, let's kind of keep keep building here. And then the other one that kind of jumps to mind um, as a team to, to watch is Oklahoma City. Are they going to make the all-in move right now? Or is Oklahoma City going to be in a spot where it is, all right, let's – Let's still be patient. Let's hold. But they're very, very good. And if they have a chance to go from very, very good to we're right in the mix to win a title with the right move, it's coming, whether it's now or it's this coming off season or something. But that that move is coming sooner rather than later for the Thunder. Keith, we had a rare mid-season extension last week. Kawhi Leonard signs a three for quote unquote, $150 million because the first year <laughs> salary is TBD. The max, uh, max right now is at 49.7 million and then 50 million in 2025, 25, 26 and 50.3 in 26.27. Uh, so that first year salary in 24, 25 is TBD because of it's based on the cap right now. Uh, thoughts on this extension being mid season, um, do we are we likely to see a Paul George extension now? What does this mean with Kawhi extending for two new seasons because he did decline that player option for the 24-25 season? Yeah, I think for Kawhi, what was also funny was this just came out on a one. It was like a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon with no leaks. Like it was just the Clippers press release of Kawhi Leonard signs extension. I was like, wait, what? Like no one, no one knew other than Kawhi's camp and the Clippers that apparently this was coming, and that's just so Kawhi, right? Like let's let's just get it done. But I think what it means for the Clippers is we're going to see Paul George extend probably similar ish terms to to Kawhi. Um, I don't know it'll be exactly the same like they did last time around where they did mirroring uh, deals, but I think it's probably going to be pretty similar where it'll be maybe just a little bit. You know, below max on the total 
that he can get probably maybe doesn't even push for the full years he could get just let's let's do this let's roll into next year and then Kawhi taking maybe a little less Paul George takes a little less James Harden he's now saying which we've heard this before but I'm gonna believe him that he wants to be in LA he feels good he likes where the team is and where things are going I think we could see that turn into all right now we've got kind of these three guys are locked in long term but they didn't take every last penny they could get that gives them a little bit of that flexibility and freedom to retain a couple guys they might not have been able to keep otherwise and and just keep things moving maybe there's a world where they all collectively took just enough less that we can dip under that second apron and for Steve Ballmer anybody who thinks it's cheaping out on paying that's wrong like he does he'll he, he could buy and sell two more teams if he wanted to with with ease but i think it's more of the idea of it's really hard to build a team and build a sustainable roster around some veterans and some injury prone veterans if you're carrying three guys on max contracts or even near max so i think that turns into if everybody takes a little less we can really flesh out the depth around you guys. And then we're in a place where we can get this thing moving forward into being the contender we thought we'd be just in time for our new building to open. Yeah, that's a good point, Keith. The Taking a little bit of less, because at first I'm like, what? If, if you can take more, take everything that you can get. But in the Clippers sense, taking a little bit less helps with the tax bill. And, you know, yes, they're making gobs of money already, but every little bit helps, especially with the Clippers and how far over at the tax they are. We're, we're no longer talking about the Clippers as just being over the, the cap and it, whatever money it is, it's just going to take them up to the tax. They're so far past that now it's a uh, what can we save from a tax bill standpoint from, you know, Kawhi's going to get paid, but can we add a little bit more or take a little bit less so that we can add the players or let the players that we have get their chunk where we're not handcuffed too much further down into the tax. Yes, they're very deep, but in the long run, three, four years out, it may not be as bad because of the cap rising. Is that, am I on par with that? Yeah, you're, you're right on. And I think that's what it's about. I mean, to this point, Kawhi Leonard, and I'm using him because he's the one who's locked in the extension. He's already made $276 million in his career. Anybody wants to see, you just go to his player page on Track, click on career earnings. That's, that's exactly how I got to that number that quick. He also now on this, let's just say, let's say it ends up being $150 million. Well, guess what? He's made a, roughly a half a billion dollars in salary. And I get it. There's taxes and all this other stuff. But he's also got off-court stuff. He's got incentives. He's got all these other things, right, that, that'll kind of come into this. So we're very much in a spot for Kawhi Leonard where it is this guy is, like, he doesn't need to take every last penny he can get. Had he done that in, in his extension, I would not have complained in the slightest, nor would I have knocked him. It would have been, yep, makes total sense. Why would you not do do that? But I think what people end up, missing i think um with some of this stuff is i think some of these guys do hit a point where it's like all right what i really want to do is i want to win and i want to be in a good spot and again this isn't about saving steve Ballmer any money nobody cares about that least of all steve Ballmer, he's fine 
I mean, I think what would they say? He made four billion dollars off his Apple dividends for doing now or like a billion dollars or something for doing nothing, just owning it. So it's like that is like crazy. So of course he's good to pay almost whatever it is to win. This is about helping the front office under the new uh, second apron rules in the new CBA. It is just extremely messy where teams can't can't flesh out rosters the way we're going to see it start to be a thing for Phoenix, Boston, Milwaukee in the next coming coming years because they're so expensive. It's going to be draft picks and uh, signing guys to minimums. That's all you can really do because even making trades is hard unless you're saying, all right, I'm going to trade trade our big dog. I'm going I'm to trade one of our max guys out. So I think for the Clippers, Kawhi sets the stage for, hey, I took a little less. And it becomes a little harder for Paul George and James Harden to say, well, guess what? I need every dime I can get because the guy who is their best player did that. So that turns into a spot where it is, all right, we can take a little less too. Still going to be, a, you know, you know, multi-multi-millionaires, you know, approaching half-billionaires. So we're good, but it just does put it in a little bit of an easier place potentially for the front office. And, and that is important because as these guys age, they don't want to go out on teams that are fighting in the playing tournament, they want to be contending for titles. Quick non-financial question here. The And if you choose to not answer, I completely understand because <laughs> maybe you're superstitious, but the Boston Celtics are currently 20-0 at home this season. They have Denver coming in tonight. Uh, the Boston Celtics have to be on some on the – pace for some sort of record, but being 20 and 0, am I right, Keith? Yes. So they are, um, they are, they've set the franchise record for start. Now their team, uh, the 1986 Celtics, they went 40 and one at home. That is the record 40 and one. I believe it was, it was one of the LeBron Cavs teams went into the last day of the regular season and they only had one home loss. I think they were 39 and one and they ended up losing a game where they didn't play a bunch of people and people got very angry about it because they were like, we wanted to tie that record. So they're, they're right there. They set the franchise record with this 20 and 0 start. Cause I think that, that 86 team, I think they won like 15 or 16 to no, and then lost a game to the Portland trailblazers. Um, and then never lost another home game and didn't lose another home game in the playoffs either. They, they won every home game they played in the playoffs in 1986 too. So, yeah, we're right there. It's my thought process is it's it's super cool and this is awesome. If they can get through this Denver game with beating the defending champs, I'm gonna start to dream about. Wait a minute, is this gonna happen? Like, are we actually gonna see the a team run the table at home? Because, I mean, they're not just good at home; they are dominant at home. They have been killing teams in their home games. So, yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I, I I'll, I'll use the Michael Scott quote. I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. So, uh, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. All right, Keith, what's next on the docket for you? Sorry, I was clearing my throat. Um, I yeah, it's trade deadline, right? Everything's going to be about trade deadline. I try not to lock into. All right, here's ten pieces I'm going to write over the next few weeks because. Anytime we do that, a trade happens and it gets replaced by that. So, which is fun, right? And we're, we're excited to, to do those as well. So 
but definitely coming. We're going to have Eastern Conference buyers and sellers, where teams are, kind of with a little bit of analysis mixed into where I think they should be if I disagree with where where they're at. And then we'll do the same exercise for the Western Conference. Uh, the trade deadline primer is out there. It's still still very good and worth reading, even if we had one trade kind of uh, throw three teams for a little bit of a whack. But as you said, uh, Siakam, Brown, and Lewis were our most likely to be traded guys. So feel pretty good about that part of it. Um, and then it's going to be trade reactions. Anytime a trade goes down uh, that same day, um, we will have trade reaction up and we're going to, we're going to do something new this year. We talked about it. We're going to do all of them. And some of them may only be a couple paragraphs long, knowing me, probably not, probably a little longer than that. Um, but they'll be shorter because it's, all right, this was a salary dump. If if the Kira Lewis trade was all that had happened uh, to the Indiana Pacers in a salary dump, that would have been a much shorter write-up. It would have been, yeah, Indiana got a second, teed some salary, and New Orleans gets out of the tax, and here's why and here's what they can do. So those will come, but hopefully we'll have a couple more uh, blockbusters to go. I, I have the sense this is going to be a very, very busy trade deadline because two two things, you have a bunch of teams feel good about their chances of contending. And you also have teams that are very much looking at things and saying, free agency is not the way. Like, we're not going to get uh, what we need in free agency. Let's move now and get the added benefit of having the player over the last few months of this season going into next year and be able to build it out that way. So we're, we're, we're in for a really fun trade deadline. If you're looking to follow Keith Smith at Keith Smith NBA, over 140,000 followers, become one of them. Uh, you can also follow Keith and listen to even more X's and O's because we don't really dive into the X's and O's at his front office show. Um, I think what you're over 30,000 subscribers now. Yeah, Keith? we did. We cracked 30,000 uh, this past week. We, we went, it was just behind the curtain. Uh, Trevor Lane and I, who, who I co-host the show with, we were literally sitting down to record uh, our regular show anyway and talk, starting to talk about, all right, what do we want to put in when the Siakam trade news broke? So we said, let's just go live. We'll, we'll just go live and we'll react to it live. We had ended up with over 4,000 people watching live in the middle of the afternoon on a weekday, which is super cool. And quite frankly, probably a little disturbing. They probably should have been working or something. Um, but hey, we'll take it. And yeah, and through that show and all the other work we've done, we, we cracked 30,000 subscribers and it's only onward and upward from here with the front office show. We have a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. I know you uh, you guys reference Track quite often, pull <laughs> up the salaries. And, <laughs> yep. um, and, and since this is a Friday show that we're posting today, you guys do front office Fridays, correct? Yep. Yep, front office Fridays. That's our live show every Friday, uh, right around lunchtime on the East Coast. Usually, it, it, it's never a fixed time because we've we, both of us are working around other things. But yeah, that that show is really that's the the audience's show. Uh, we let them uh, ask a lot of questions and uh, push us, you know, all sorts of things. And sometimes it gets a little weird and you know wonky. People ask, "What's your favorite Marvel movie?" or Where, "Where's your favorite place to eat?" and you know, weird stuff. We have a lot of fun on those Friday shows. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun. I try to catch it every so often when I have some downtime. Uh, I, I try to listen just to learn something new from you and, and uh, Trevor, just to see, you know, just different perspectives from the the big wigs that I listen to on podcasts on a daily basis. So if you're looking to get in touch with Keith at Keith Smith NBA, again, front office show on YouTube, 
Uh, Keith, thanks. Looking forward to all of the write-ups for trades that are about to happen here. And uh, we will talk next week. I can't wait. For Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.